from the dark web to your radio dial. You are listening to CyberTalk Radio on News 1200 WOAI. Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. I'm joined this week uh, by the CEO of a startup here in San Antonio. We're going to be talking about uh, technology, criminal records, and uh, how this stuff can all work to make your lives better. Now, if you're a cyber criminal and you've uh, been arrested by the FBI and you've been prosecuted in a federal court, uh, Yusef, not going to be able to help those folks out, are you? No. No. No, this is not for you. Yeah, so uh, if you are listening out here, though, on the radio and you've, you've got a, a misdemeanor and you're thinking, man, this is just impossible, I can't deal with or sort any of this out, stay tuned here with us. Uh, keep listening. Uh, if you aren't going to be able to do that, you can catch the rebroadcast of this on our website, www.cybertalkradio.com. Uh, it'll go up on Tuesday, June 5th. And uh, you can catch this episode and all of our other past episodes uh, on the website, YouTube. Check us out on Twitter or Facebook. You can find us on the Internet and find the replay of this uh, to be able to learn what you can do in a misdemeanor world and how uh, Yusef and his company are using technology to make some of these things easier. So, uh, Yusef, uh, how did you find your way to San Antonio first? And then how did you find your way back? Let's, uh, let's start with that and we'll, we'll get into some more of your company and the business and the rest of those things afterwards yeah well um first of all brett thank you for having me here i'm uh, really excited to be uh, on your show today and to share with your listeners more about easy expunctions and what we do i moved to san antonio uh, when i was 18 after i graduated high school i started at trinity university and uh, graduated from there uh, got my first job in houston uh, working as a consultant worked there for a year and then austin for a year and I returned to San Antonio again and uh, went to law school at St. Mary's. I graduated St. Mary's in 2013 and moved to Austin. I uh, lived there for a couple years. That's where I started my company, uh, easyexpunctions.com. We moved in uh, the summer of 2016 after receiving economic incentive grants from the city of San Antonio and Bear County uh, to move our company over. And so. That's that's how we ended up coming back. Really happy to be back in San Antonio. Yeah, and so you you uh, just won another uh, funding competition as well down here. Uh, I think I saw the last few weeks. We did. Uh, we won the Capital Factory San Antonio Challenge. It was really cool. There was about 156 companies that had applied. Um, six finalists were selected, and then we did a pitch over at the uh, Geekdom Event Center. Um, yeah, we were fortunate enough to win. Yeah. So. So you, you went through, so you, you, you grew up, and um, we were talking um, in the studio here before we went on the air, but grew up in Louisiana, found your way over here to Texas, and, uh, and then went to law school and now a technology startup. So in law school, they spent three years teaching you to be risk averse. <laughs> like this is the, they just what they this is what they train you in law school. So if you're wondering what do you learn in law school, we can I can boil it down into one sentence for you. You learn to be risk averse. You learn all the legal rules and reasons why you should be risk averse. You're married to an attorney, aren't you? I, I am. Yeah. So then, how from there do uh, you decide to go start a tech company? Well, I had the idea for EasyExpunctions.com since you know maybe 2008. 
I bought the domain name easyxfunctions.com in 2010. Uh, paid GoDaddy the $8.99 every year. Is that little reminder that you hadn't started it yet? Yep. Every time you had to pay the renewal fee? Yep. And so didn't do anything with it for the three years I was in law school. Didn't know if um, I was allowed to or if this was uh, exclusively lawyer space. Yeah. And uh, finished law school, still loved the idea, and always had an you know, entrepreneurial uh, spirit and thought, um, you know, I still love this business. It's just as relevant as it was before, and uh, I want to build this out. Yeah. So uh, for, for those out there, um, yeah, it are- and I'm not risk averse. Yeah, so that so was, you're not. No. Yeah. yeah, so you're one of the few people that went to law school. You weren't risk averse when you went, and then three years of them trying to, to train you to be risk averse, still not risk averse. No, it didn't work that way. It, it didn't work, but yeah. I received a, a good legal education, and that was helpful. Yeah. So, so you, you've you went through and and what led you to this idea? So if we you go back, you had this for for quite a while. Um, it, I mean, it sounds almost all the way back in college, um, the first time, not in law school. Yep. And so, uh, we were to make a Venn diagram and look at you know how I you know came to Easy Expunctions. I think you'd see you know one circle, um, you know I'm an attorney. The other circle, I was arrested before. And so that, you know, kind of introduced me to this world. I uh, wanted to go to law school, um, you know, the, something stupid when I was in college and uh, yeah. uh, dismissed, but wanted to get it expunged. Yeah. So learned how to do it on my own and filed it. Um, such a good feeling, leaving the courthouse, uh, feeling very empowered, uh, saved some money, uh, finally, you know, had some closure on this issue. Yeah. Um, yeah, it allowed me to, to go to law school. And so um, that's how I was, you know, familiar with the expunction. From that time, I, I thought this would be a wonderful service. Yeah. So from the, the time that you started researching on your, your own personal case until the time you were walking out of the courthouse with success, how, how many months did that take you? It took me a couple months. Yeah. It took me a couple months. Um, the process itself takes at least a month. So the, the whole filing, but uh, about a month worth of research. It was not pretty. I remember, um, you know, looking at the original forms that I used and, uh, uh, yeah, thinking <laughs> what, how, the, what the business does now. A little yeah, bit different. I, uh, completely different. And yeah. so um, it wasn't pretty, but it was it was effective. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and so as, as you went through there, you said that, I mean, you had this misdemeanor on there and it was uh, going to be a, a black mark on your law school application. So. Had you not been able to get that cleaned up, you wouldn't have been able to go to law school, wouldn't have been able to found the company to help other folks. So this is one of these things, is an, it's a, an interesting one, is you, if you get arrested for something, maybe you even get convicted, you serve your time. And it, it's one, though, that after that, if you go that the punishment there was the, the time served, it's not the way it works in America these days. So for those that don't have any criminal arrest record um, or and conviction history, uh, you may think that after someone gets arrested, done, you know, they've served their time, they've paid their debt to society, it's over, but it's not. It it will trail along with you forever. And it's not even statute of limitations or any of the rest of this stuff. That thing can follow you along for uh, forever. And, and it's it's one thing if you, you really went maybe and it's, uh, you've committed a, a felony financial fraud. 
probably should not hire you to work in a bank. Um, but maybe at some point you repaid your debt to society, and maybe even in that world you should be able to. Now, banking laws don't allow that. But, I mean, for other stuff, if you got arrested for a misdemeanor um, drunk in public um, in college, probably should not stop you from being able to go to law school. You got it. Yeah. You or got it. shouldn't be able to stop you from getting a job 20 years later. Yeah, I mean, what we're seeing here and, you know, just to be clear for folks who are not familiar with, you know, the criminal justice system or have never been arrested before, this is not, um, you know, an isolated issue. You know, approximately 45 percent of Americans will be arrested at least one time in their life, according to the Department of Justice. Um, over 100 million American adults currently have an arrest record. Um, so this is, you know, either you or somebody that you know. Um, that is dealing with this issue. Um, in America, we are innocent until proven guilty. Um, but unfortunately, sometimes after being proven innocent or found to be innocent or at least not convicted, um, you know, folks still pass judgment on uh, people because of their record. And so, um, you know, say you were arrested and uh, the charges were dismissed or maybe charges weren't filed or maybe um, you served your time or maybe it was deferred adjudication in either respect that arrest record remains your mugshot remains your fingerprints remain the arrest report remains uh, you're still going to apply to jobs 90 percent of major employers run background checks yeah um, this is something that uh, becomes more and more relevant as time progresses because we're seeing counties digitizing their records we're seeing uh, increased access to the internet, and we're seeing proliferation of this data. It just makes it more likely that this is something that could affect you later on in the future. So you go through this process personally, and you're uh, now have set up a business to make this easier for folks. So how does the business work? Yeah, so uh, folks come to our website. You get a free background check just for creating an account. And so uh, you give me your name and your birthday. We'll call out to our databases and uh, find if there's any match with your personal information to the uh, criminal case disposition records that we possess. We'll then display that information to you. Um, you can pay 20 bucks at that point to get an eligibility report. An eligibility report will tell you uh, essentially what a before and after would look like, You know what your record is now, what you qualify to do about it. Um, if you qualify, uh, you can purchase the relevant legal documents. Um, we'll help you file, answer any questions that you have. Um, two main staples of all our products, low cost, 100% money back guarantee, so complete consumer protections. Yeah, and if you're listening on 1200 WAI, you're most likely in the state of Texas, but AM radio waves do bounce around. So if, if folks were not in Texas, or maybe if you're listening on, on iHeartRadio streaming, uh, or if you've found us on YouTube or or a iTunes podcast or something else afterwards and you're somewhere else in the U.S. How does this apply for folks outside the state of Texas or outside of Bear County? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, of course, we are the state leader here in Texas. We do more expunctions and non-disclosures than any law firm by a multiple. But we do operate in six states uh, currently or six other states, rather, um, New Jersey, uh, Florida, North Carolina, Colorado, Washington State and Indiana. So if folks are in uh, any one of those states or have charges um, from you know, a previous stay in one of those states, um, please feel free to reach out to us or check out our website. We can certainly help. Um, 
long term, uh, of course, we want to be in all 50 states. But it, it's, it's different in all of them. The law is not consistent. It is. It is. So this is, uh, you know, expunctions and non-disclosures are a state law creature, not a federal uh, uh, law. So uh, the, the law does vary state by state. And so for us, that means developing uh, uh, unique business rules and a unique web app for each one of the markets that we enter. Yeah. And, and so what's the difference? Uh, expunction, uh, sealing, like uh, I've, uh, people have heard these different things, like what's legally real, what's not real, uh, what requires like a, a governor or a president or something like that to <laughs> like, yeah. So what can, what's the difference on, on some of these different terms? Help, help explain to, to me and to the folks out there. So there is uh, just going to put a disclaimer out there because I am an attorney, um, not providing legal advice. Yeah. I'm not your attorney, but, uh, uh, generally speaking, and there are some uh, nuanced uh, exceptions. However, generally speaking, uh, folks in the state of Texas have two main remedies uh, or forms of relief available. One is an expunction. The other is a non-disclosure. Uh, for expunctions. So, so non-disclosure is the sealing, like the, the sealing. sealing of my records. Is a, you is, got it. Legally, that's called a non-disclosure. You got it. Okay. So when, when folks refer to uh, sealing a record, that's what they're talking about is, is a non-disclosure of that record. So for an expunction uh, in Texas, we're talking about non-convictions. And so somebody was arrested and maybe the prosecutor declined to file charges or maybe charges were filed and later dismissed for a number of reasons. Uh, maybe um, you successfully completed pretrial diversion. Uh, if you received a pardon from the governor, um, you know, for a, a past yeah. conviction. Um, if you were acquitted, so, you know, like OJ, you went through the whole trial and a judge or jury, uh, you know, found you to be not guilty. But that arrest record remains. And so getting an expunction would provide you the legal right to deny the arrest ever occurred. So you can get an expunction for a felony because if you got arrested but they didn't press charges or you went through a trial and got a not guilty, you can get a felony expunged, not just misdemeanors. You got it. You got okay. it. You know, there there may be some relevant uh, waiting periods or a statute of limitations period that applies. But uh, generally speaking, uh, yes. OK. Yes. Yeah. So it's there's, not always, there's always exceptions out there. This is why. Yeah. You, you use the software and it can do things. But at some point you may need to talk to an attorney if your things are you hit one of those edge cases. Then the, the law will be filled with edge cases forever. Right. Right. And so I, th I think the system does a pretty good job, though, uh, uh, generally covering uh, those instances. Um, but of course, uh, there is no substitute for the advice of an attorney. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, folks come to the site. They can uh, uh, check to see if they qualify for an expunction. For non-disclosure, though, it's uh, uh, either successful completion of deferred adjudication, which is a conviction in Texas. It's just a fancy way of saying convicted. Yeah. Or it's your one and only conviction for certain misdemeanors. Yeah. And so those are the only folks that would qualify for that, but even a felony under non-disclosure. Now, certain specific enumerated charges are excluded. So folks that are on a sex offender list, if you've ever been convicted of murder, rape, uh, kidnapping, yeah. all the really serious stuff, uh, family violence, um, those folks would not be able to seal any of their charges. But yeah. Uh, and then the the federal stuff. So you can get charged with a state crime or a federal crime. Right. You've got different courts for right. those. Um, and for federal arrest records, are those in some database everybody can see or are those not in a database? How do those work? They are. 
Um, to my understanding, you could search what's called the PACER system and be able to identify folks that are in the federal system, um, find federal charges. Now, we don't deal with federal charges at easy expunctions. Um, I believe there is, uh, you know, some case law on expunctions dealing on the, the federal level, but for the most part, um, there's, you know, little relief and uh, we're not in that space. Yeah, no. It's one that sounds like it's uh, more complicated. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Certainly want to consult an attorney. That's your, your uh, next business, not easyexpunctions.com? Right. Yes. <laughs> I like that. Do you have that domain name already? I don't, if but not, I should. You, sh- you should, yeah. So <laughs> before this program airs, he may have the domain name. Right. <laughs> uh, so as you've been going along now, so you guys launched back in 2015 originally? Uh, February of 2014 is okay. when I filed for an LLC, but uh, we didn't uh, go live and start making sales and marketing until uh, uh, 2015. 2015, and and so that that first year, the the first time you had you had somebody go to the website, they go through, and you realized it works and you made somebody's life better. What was that that feeling of the kind of the first successful customer? Yeah, I I think um, you know we have those success cases um, all the time. Um, I think from the beginning, um, the most touching, uh, you know, examples or instances of that were, you know, customers uh, calling us, maybe first call, second call out of the courthouse to let us know that, oh my God, it worked. And, you know, just like y'all said, and uh, this is so amazing and, you know, just really happy. Um, um, Yeah, and so, there's not a lot of products out there today like that where the customer calls the company afterward just to say thank you or just to let them know the impact this has had on that individual or um, share with them their feelings about um, you know what happened in their experience. Um, me, I, I, you know, as a consumer, I'm not going to call a company unless I have a problem, unless you know it wasn't as uh, I had expected. Yeah. Then I, I would reach out and uh, uh, you know contact them. But otherwise, you know, I feel like the the thank you is the payment, and so to get an additional thank you uh, from our customers is uh, super rewarding. Yeah. So and encouraging uh, to continue. And you you said now in in 2018 here you're doing more expunctions than any law firm in Texas that you're aware of. Right. So you went from like first. Well, we cust- have the we know that. Oh, you so know we, that. We know that. So oh. we have the data on, you know, folks that are getting expunctions. So we we know for a fact. Oh, that okay. That's the case. There you go. So this is uh, uh, public information, I guess, apparently as well. Relatively. Relatively. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so um, from that, so you went from first expunction working th- in 2015 to the the largest expunction law firm service i don't know exactly what you we're not a law firm yeah we're we're a company but affecting more expunctions and non-disclosures than anybody so is this one where um you you took a bunch of business away from law firms so do you get from classmates calling you going hey you said you put me out of this or is this net new people that like just this thing was hanging around but they were kind of afraid to call an attorney it was kind of hard to call an attorney how has that looked as you you see the, the market evolving on this for folks for you right um we think that there's plenty of room for attorneys, of course, um, in this space. Approximately 1% of folks that qualify for an expunction or a non-disclosure are actually getting this done. 
So the majority of folks are not doing anything about it. They're choosing to have a criminal record. Yeah. And so uh, easy expunctions, we feel that that might be a result of lack of awareness. Folks don't know that expunctions are a thing, that you don't have to have a criminal record in, in many instances. Um, the other thing is lack of awareness for a cost-effective solution. And so that's where we come in. So, you know, we still feel that, you know, folks will still go to attorneys, but for those that can't afford an attorney, um, you know, we provide a uh, cost-effective alternative that's attractive. Yeah, because yours is, is somewhat of a, as you, you had maybe alluded to, but uh, to say directly, it's, it's somewhat of a do-it-yourself service. Like you step-by-step right. step, get them through it. Right. But this is this is not like if you potentially if you hire an attorney, they go down to the courthouse, do all that stuff for you, and then they just call you and go, hey, your, your stuff is taken care of. Potentially. Potentially. P- Maybe you have to show up in a suit and tie once. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, uh, you know, with us, you don't have to generate any documents. You don't have to have any legal background. We'll, we'll generate all the legal documents. We'll provide them to you. Uh, you can either file online or mail it in or walk it in in person. You may need to attend up to one hearing, which uh, in many instances you would have had to anyway with your attorney. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a quick process. We've got, you know, customers of all different uh, backgrounds, education levels, uh, the commonality that they share is a successful result. Yeah. And as, as you, you go through, it's, you, you don't pay unless it's successful. Well, you pay and then you get refunded or if it's if unsuccessful. Not successful. Okay. You got it. There you go. And every dollar out of your pocket, so including the filing fees to the court, um, even though those don't come to us, um, you know, you're protected. Yeah. So it's a nice guarantee. Absolutely. You believe it works. Every dollar out of your pocket. Yeah. So, so uh, as you, you've grown now to the largest in Texas, and you, you picked a handful of other states to expand to. So for entrepreneurs and things that are, are listening to this, uh, how did you guys go through the decision process of, like, we're going to go pick Indiana and New Jersey next? Because right. those two states are not super similar. Like, it's pretty clear why you started in Texas. Like, you're headquartered here. Right. You had some experience here. You have probably took the bar exam in the state of Texas. Yep. Yeah. Um, but why Indiana, New Jersey, and, and the others? Like, what's the, the story? It's a great question. I think, um, you know, somebody, um, you know, who, you know, would start this type of business might look at, you know, different, different markets and believe that those might be more advantageous to enter. Um, for us, through our experience, we've uh, identified a number of factors that make a market attractive. And uh, we have what's called a, a data review board. The data review board consists of a cross-section of individuals from our organization, uh, legal, data acquisition, marketing, sales, um, uh, you know, folks on the tech side to talk about, um, you know, whether we want to enter a particular market. Um, We'll analyze, uh, you know, the favorability of the law, the availability of the relevant data, the ease of filing for our customers, the market size, uh, how much are attorneys charging, um, uh, what kind of consumer protections can we offer? Um, what's the you know search volume online? Things like that. And so there are a number of factors. Unless we receive uh, you know unanimous vote from everybody on that board, we don't enter a new market. And so um, it's a pretty pretty long process, but um, it ensures that you know we enter a market that allows us uh, to continue to operate in a sustainable manner. 
So trying to scale sustainably. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break here at the uh, bottom of the hour for a news traffic and weather update. And then uh, Yusef and I will be back uh, to uh, talk about some of the technology uh, that powers this whole thing and um, uh, where they go from here, uh, from uh, first customer in 2015 to largest expunction uh, service in the state of Texas uh, in just a couple of years. And uh, now on their way to uh, in six states and on their way to more. Welcome back to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. I'm joined this week by Yusuf Kasim, the CEO at Easy Expunctions. And uh, before the break, uh, we talked uh, about how he founded uh, the company and of what led him to the idea, a little bit about how things work. If you're not going to be able to stick with us for this whole segment, uh, or if you uh, just wanted to listen to this program or uh, any of our other CyberTalk Radio episodes, you can catch us on uh, iTunes podcast on your Apple devices, or if uh, you've got Android Pocket Cast, it is not a free app, but it's worth the buck ninety nine. Free is not always the price you should pay for things. Uh, sometimes it's worth spending a little bit, um, and this comes from a cybersecurity guy. So uh, the free apps in the App Store. They're free for a reason. Um, they're collecting your data. We've talked about data privacy recently on this show. Um, those free ads, uh, those free apps in the App Store uh, are based on advertising, and they need data in order to advertise. So, if you would like to save a buck ninety nine for sharing your contact list, feel free to use some of the other podcasting apps. If you don't want your podcasting service to know who all your contacts are. Um, or uh, how many photos you have on your phone, or maybe even actually downloading all of your photos, look at the set of permissions some of these free apps are asking for, uh, and then you're going to realize what the price of free really is. So, uh, yeah, getting the smiles from the folks in the studio here going, oh, man, I'm deleting all the free apps off my phone right now. Uh, so, uh, Yusuf, yeah, again, thank you for coming out and uh, joining us today. And, uh, yeah, getting good laughs here uh, out of the audience, which... Uh, I don't have any free apps. No free apps on your phone. <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, just uh, jump in first uh, to the, the juvenile stuff, because maybe that'll be uh, yep. more useful for folks out there. So uh, you can get arrested as a kid, and, and help me walk through my understanding of this, where uh, you can get arrested as a kid, and then there's courts for kids. Right. Um, and, right. and then you can also get arrested as a kid and then end up in an adult court, though. Right. Okay, so... Use the the legal words because I don't think kids a legal word. I think right. that means a baby goat. Right. Legally, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so how does this all all work? Uh, and then back into yep. to what you all do. Yeah. So uh, a true juvenile charge is a charge that um, likely will not show up in a background check. So it's in a uh, juvenile court. You know, it's uh, uh, essentially sealed uh, once you reach a certain age. And I'm not sure if it's eighteen or twenty one, but um, at that point, it's 
severely limited as far as who can access that information. Um, oftentimes, uh, it's going to be uh, specific state agencies here in the state of Texas or... Uh, if you, you know, tried to apply to the FBI, they get to see that still. Always, yeah. always. And so um, maybe... Um, uh, or the individual themselves can go request that information. But otherwise, the general public is going to have a really difficult time accessing those records. Um, and they uh, generally yeah, don't show up in a, a private sector employee back or employment background check. Right, right. Um, certainly the biggest benefit of getting an expunction is the right to deny that that arrest ever occurred. And so... Just because folks can't access that record, certainly you don't have that right to deny that the arrest ever occurred. But um, just practically speaking, um, you know, from a record standpoint, juvenile records are, you know, almost impossible to access unless you're um, you have the, the authority. Yeah. Um, now, if you're a juvenile and maybe you went to, um, you know, the beach and you went to Port A and uh, you received some sort of uh, citation and uh, you know, to appear at the municipal court, and it's not a uh, juvenile court, it's, uh, you know, just regular uh, municipal court. Now, those charges might appear on your record, and at that point, you know, it would show up on a background check. It's something that you may want to consider uh, trying to get an expunction for. Yeah, so there's the, the, the juvenile justice court or court of juvenile justice, or what do they what do they call those ones? I, I, I don't even know. know. Okay. I don't even know. But and, and then, but municipal court usually means adult court. Right. Okay. Right. So municipal court could have uh, folks in there that are you know under the age of eighteen, but being uh, prosecuted in the uh, adult court. Okay. And in the juvenile prosecuted in adult court, can they go to easy expunctions and get some help or not? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. But kid arrested juvenile court. That's a, it's already probably mostly sealed and it's probably, not, yeah, it's probably less of an issue for you. Okay. Um, but certainly you can give us a call and we can check it out um, yeah. just to determine if that's, if that's actually the case. But, um, yeah, in most instances it, um, hopefully shouldn't be, uh, holding you back. Yeah. No, it's uh, good to hear. Yeah. It's just like you're going through it thinking it's just, yeah, did that thing I did down at Port A is going to stop me from being able to uh, apply to a, a graduate program or apply to college or whatever else. Uh, yeah. And you probably not. And even, even if it's a silly charge, you know, the issue really becomes the competitive uh, environment yeah. today. There's so many folks uh, applying for jobs, um, applying for certain positions that um, oftentimes uh, criminal records is uh, a, uh, easy first filter yeah uh, for a lot of organizations and so uh, they'll maybe uh, you know eliminate the folks that have a record and that way for efficiency purposes um. so uh, heading out of uh, the the juvenile world here so I've, I've gone through um, I've, I've got a municipal court arrest that I, I go get expunged but I'm trying to like uh, so this now if legitimate background check service not going to be in there anymore but this is the the age of the internet, and on the internet, they're cyber criminals. We talk about them on the the radio all the time, and I'm I'm happy to call these guys a cyber criminal. Maybe they're going to send me a cease and desist or something else. But this, if it is legal, it doesn't feel like it should be. And uh, so, if it is legal right now, and they're Definitely not yucky. they're not really criminals, then 
Yeah, this is not I think the company either of us would want to be the CEO of. Right. But there's these services out there um, online that these mugs. I'm going to call it mugshots.com. I don't know what country that one operates in, or or if maybe if um, you got an expunction and you sent it to that specific service, if they would take it down or not. But probably not. These to me, these things feel like um, extortion. Mugshot uh, so, companies. Yeah. The, so they're mugshot companies, and they're they go pull the mugshots when you get arrested. They put them up on the internet, and then they say, "Hey, we'll take yours down for some amount of money." Right. Um, I bet there's some of them asking for Bitcoin now as well um, right. instead of cash, but because um, it's easier to get around the banking regulations if you are a criminal there, because Bitcoin doesn't have banking regulations. Uh, so, uh, yeah. So th- these guys that are out there and doing this. So I've gotten uh, gone through. I've done the expunction. How do how does this work with these cyber criminals? Yep. So once you get an expunction, you know you have the you know, legal right to deny that the arrest ever occurred, and then you get the right to prohibit possession or distribution of that information by others. Um, we've developed a tool that sends this out to hundreds of different uh, background check companies, uh, uh, mugshot websites, folks that traffic in this type of information. Um, you know, and most of them are good, you know, reputable companies. You know, they'll receive the order, they'll take action, they'll, you know, delete those records within the statutory time period. Uh, but then there's those mugshot companies and those companies uh, don't care about uh, the laws uh, oftentimes they're based out of the caribbeans or uh, somewhere overseas um, and it's really hard for us to take action against them so i can trigger their legal duty to have to comply with the law but i can't make them follow the law yeah and so uh, we are working with legislators to identify any sort of uh, mechanisms that uh, could be in place uh, to go after folks like this because, you know, if it's not illegal, it's uh, certainly uh, yucky. I mean, yeah. it's uh, not I'm going to call it unethical. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I, I would, you know, even uh, raise that to, to ransom. Yeah. You know, I feel like um, you're extorting somebody when you ask them to uh, pay money to take something down that you have a legal right to. Yeah. And so uh, this is... Uh, uh, essentially the the situation you know when you get an expunction you don't need to ask somebody to take it down you show it to them and at that point uh, you know they have to yeah they have they have a legal obligation at that point to to s- destroy their copies of the information and not distribute it anymore right uh, and they're choosing to not do that unless you you pay them a fee ransom yeah. Yeah, ransom. This is where not an attorney here, extortion, blackmail. I don't know how like whichever right, words these right. fall in. It's it one of those things like sh- this. It feels like it those feels things like that this. like you shouldn't be doing. If right. somehow they've figured out a way to make a legal loophole on it, I'm gonna call it a loophole. Um, and uh, yeah, does not feel like the right thing out there. So right. it's good to to hear that you're you're working on. Uh, trying to promote public policy side of things to to make right. uh, that better um, so that folks uh, can move on in their life from there. Yeah, and I, I you know, I know that uh, folks that see their, their mugshots on these sites may feel compelled uh, to pay these folks and um, uh, certainly understand that. Um, but I will say that, you know, it's akin to pulling weeds. Yeah. You know, once you pull one, it's probably more likely you're going to have to pull more. Um, just knowing what we know today about uh, marketing and advertising and data generally, um, you're now on that list of folks that pay. Yeah. And um, 
that's important information for folks in in, in the mugshot industry or in something. The criminal so, world. Yes. Yeah. It's yeah, the same so, thing we tell folks with ransomware. It's like you can pay the ransomware, but you're a payer now. Yeah. You're you're now known as a paying customer. Like you went you went from the prospect where like they were able to hack into your computer and install ransomware on it. Now you move from prospect to paying customer. Um, and on paying the fine on ransomware doesn't uninstall the ransomware from your computer. It just decrypts your data. Like they generally have a button they can press and encrypt it again if they'd like to get paid again. So if they need another Black Sea vacation, they're going <laughs> to press the button and they're going to do that. And then they're going to go rent their private jet. And then on down to the Black Sea, they go for their vacation. Uh, yeah. Most of the ransomware guys are in Eastern Europe because, okay. yeah, there's a um, over in that area. Economy's not great. Um, it's been hard for a lot of the countries over there. They've agreed not to hack folks inside their own country in exchange for employing people. Um, so, yeah, it's a messy legal situation wow. on that side of the world. Yeah. Wow. The ransomware stuff um, for the encrypting your files in your computer, those are definitely criminals. Um, the mugshot stuff, there may be some gray area. The ransomware on your computer, yeah, that's definitely uh, certainly. The, certainly crime. So, uh, in your technology stack, so you you guys, you're you're an attorney. Yep. Uh, you're and you did not major in computer science or computer engineering or software development when you were an undergraduate. Nope. No. So you've got this idea for a technology company. Yep. Uh, so where do you go from there? Right. And so, um, you know, the first thing that I did uh, after you know successfully sitting for the bar exam was spending the next you know three months writing out our a patent. Uh, for the method of document automation that we utilize. So taking efforts to secure the intellectual property. Um, but like you mentioned, I'm not a technical person. Um, I do have a functional understanding of uh, the technology that we utilize. Um, but the first thing I did was hire a technical person. And so a data architect that um, went through and translated what I had written um, in the patent into something uh, that was more of a, um, uh, you know, recipe for a developer to build out. Yeah. And so system design uh, diagram. And so uh, that was the, the first investment I made with um, uh, the money we started off with. And then um, from there, uh, hired a data architect to build it out, um, which is expensive, um, especially if you're not used to hiring software developers. And um, so, yeah, the, the, the first person uh, we hired. Um, yeah paid four times more than I paid myself. Yeah. And so, um, but it was uh, um, a good experience. Um, but yeah, you need to hire somebody technical and then, you know, try to put some controls in place to make sure that, you know, that individual is delivering on what it is that you need. And um, so that was, that was also another consideration. Was yeah. So, is, so you, you went through there to, to, to get your software stack up and going. So, um, at that point in time, did you know, like, are they using, are they building a good software stack or not a good software stack? Where in, initially? Yeah. Good, really good. I think, yeah. you know, um, you get what you pay for. Yeah. And so um, uh, we were we were very satisfied, um, yeah, with the work. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. So are you still running on that kind of we base? We are C++, base, C Sharp. Um, base core architecture still today. Correct. Yeah. .NET, um, uh, run SQL servers. Um, yeah. Use a, a program called Pentaho uh, for ETL, so um, uploading uh, the data. Yeah, you're getting more technical than you you may give yourself credit for it at this point. So ETL, okay. so yeah, so that's a extract, 
and uh, transform and then load. So yep. this is uh, taking data from one system and doing the things you need to do to manipulate it to put it into another system right. in, in, a, in a usable format for you. So they're right. sharing for the uh, listeners out there in the audience that may not have known ETL. So, right. yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, for us, uh, we're a big data company. And so um, ETL is a big part of our business. So um, for those who are not aware, there is no comprehensive and uniform criminal history information database in this country. And so you have to go jurisdiction by jurisdiction to acquire the relevant criminal history information. Uh, and these are in each city, in each county, it in can each be. state? All of those. So, so in Texas, we have I don't know. I think it's two hundred and fifty-four counties or something. Nice. Is something like that. Nice. Is is that the exact That's number? That's the exact number. Yeah. Yeah. So, so are you? Are are all of them even online? Like, is there an API to talk to all two hundred fifty-four counties at this point? There isn't. Okay. There isn't. <laughs> so so. I was just wondering. Yeah, because there's some counties I'm pretty sure that they might not even have a computer at the courthouse. Yeah, possibly. You know, Van Vleck County or yeah. some of the counties that you know folks aren't familiar with, but. Um, 80% of the population resides in about, you know, 32 counties. And, uh, yeah. so that's probably half of it's in three, right? But bear Harris and, and, uh, so you're looking at Dallas, was, yeah. uh, Harris, um, uh, bear, uh, of yeah. course the, the biggest uh, counties, but then yeah. El Paso, uh, you know, oh, Colin yeah. Denton yeah. and, uh, uh, Tarrant and Dallas kind of make that four square yeah. uh, up North. And, and then uh, Travis up, I guess, in the Austin area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Williamson. Um, uh, so, yeah. Okay. So it's, we're, yeah. we're focused on the on the biggest counties. We've done four or more expunctions in 90 plus counties in the state of Texas. That's interesting. Yeah. And so we do um, operate statewide um, um, in all the states that we operate in. But there is that nuance where you have to go down to the, the county level, sometimes the, the municipal level or. Um, you know, some states do have statewide um, database yeah. that we can access, and that's so, wonderful. So some of the states you expanded into, like uh, Indiana or New Jersey, do either of those have a statewide database? Or? Right. They do. They do. They so do. This, this is part of your, as you're going through the, where are we going to expand to next? Somewhere that has a statewide database or has less than 254 counties. Right. <laughs> so that, that way you're not dealing with hundreds of databases. You know, you're dealing yeah. with, with one. So it does make, you know, the... Uh, ETL know, easier. Yeah, pick in Texas first. You will solve all of the most complicated problems because I don't know that there's a state in the country that has more counties than Texas. No. No, okay, yeah. There isn't. So, yeah. Yeah, there's about 1,200 counties in the country. Yeah. And yeah. so Texas, Texas by far has the most counties. I think second, I uh, forgot which state it was, but maybe has 112. Or, yeah. And that's uh, abnormally high. Yeah. Um, and then. Less. I mean, like California, I don't remember the exact number, but I think it's 50. 50. Somewhere yeah, that feels about right. I lived out there for a while. They're all like pretty 30, big. Like 30-something yeah. odd counties. Yeah, like Los Angeles County and Orange County. It's not that there's a West Covina County and uh, for all the other uh, – there's not a Malibu County. There's not a – yeah. Right. Well, uh, Long Beach County. Yeah, those are – It's there's L.A. County and Orange County and then San Diego County. Well, and there's – you know, in Texas – each county is like its own kingdom. Yeah. And they have a unique way of uh, organizing their information. And um, so, yeah, there's there's a huge need for normalizing that data. Yeah. And so that's that's a big uh, part of what we do at Easy Expunctions. Yeah. So and then you, you store all this stuff, as you said, in databases and encryption. Yep. This is good. 
because um, you might be making the information safer than it is in some of the places it's being stored originally, which is kind of a, the scary thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, long term, there will be opportunities for us, uh, you know, working with certain state agencies. Uh, yeah. To provide them their exact data back, but in uh, formats that might be useful for them. So yeah. I'll, I'll give you an example of, you know, we were working with a um, arm of the uh, Supreme Court of Texas that was charged with identifying uh, laws that maybe shouldn't be on the books anymore. And so, um, uh, for example, one of the laws was pecan smashing. So I don't know, a lot of people yeah. know that, you know, you can get in trouble for that. And uh, uh, they had contacted- Can we the arrest the squirrels in my yard? Right. <laughs> no. Are they smashing your pecans? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I suppose you could file a, a complaint and yeah. uh, and see if, if that leads okay, to something. Okay. So, so we have a law against pecan smashing. Though. Sorry for interrupting. Yeah. But, uh, no. And so, th you know, the uh, this organization was trying to determine, you know, how many people historically in the state of Texas have been arrested for, and maybe convicted for these, you know, fifteen uh, or so charges. Yeah. One of them was pecan smashing. Just stood out to me and. Um, they had contacted the DPS. Um, the DPS at the time, I suppose, didn't have a way of searching uh, for those individu individual charge types. Yeah. Contacted us. The same information that we've, you know, acquired from the Department of Public Safety, we were able to tell, you know, pretty instantly how many people historically have ever been convicted for those charges. And I think it was less than eight. Yeah. In the, the history of the state, we were able to tell them who those individuals were and this is really insightful information for lawmakers that are trying to understand um, the effect of some of the laws that we have. And so being able to have a uh, normalized data set that's uh, easily searchable definitely provides uh, you some value. No, that's some good stuff. Yeah, there's a, an amusing feed that uh, on Twitter called A Crime a Day. Have you seen this one before? I haven't. No, so this you, you'll you'll enjoy this. So it goes through um, uh, federal laws, state laws, all sorts of ones. Uh, yeah, one. Um, oh, I think I have heard of this. And they, yeah. They highlight a, a silly law. Yeah, silly law every day. So there was one the other day. So I was uh, just in a, a, a theater thing over Fiesta, and I, I shared with our, our theater group uh, that if you were overseas and you had a theatrical chicken with you, you're not allowed to bring it back to the U.S. if it was around other theatrical chickens. Good to know. That's really good to know. It could yeah. to know. Yeah. yeah. That that law may not. There's probably some bigger. Broader That's a U.S. Law. federal law. Uh, yeah. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. So I, I I figure there's probably some broader U.S. federal law about poultry importing already. That if this chicken was not doing what it should be doing, did you really need one specifically about theatrical chickens? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But if it's around theatrical cats, that might be okay. I guess. Maybe maybe there was a lawmaker. Um, I don't know. Way back, yeah, uh, had an issue with somebody who maybe had theatrical chickens, and yeah, yeah. So you just have to wonder some of this, the histor historical stories of how does how did this thing become a law? Right. Yeah. Who yeah. had beef with the theatrical chickens? Yes. So, uh, you guys, uh, when you'd founded this business originally, and I'm going to switch because we're going to run out of time here. I wanted to talk about this for those entrepreneurs out in the audience that are listening. So. You found the business up in Austin. Um, you had uh, ended up coming back down here to San Antonio and to Bear County um, because you, you had some conversations uh, with one of your investors that connected you then in with the, the city and the county uh, for some economic development incentives. So how does that process work as a startup? Absolutely. So, um, you know, definitely, uh, I know we're, we're running low on time, but I would encourage folks to 
look into the economic development departments um, uh, in places where they'd like to live. Um, certainly uh, investigating uh, San Antonio and checking that out as a startup company. Um, it's wonderful to find economic development departments that are willing to provide um, incentives to startups. It is pretty rare. Yeah. I joked about risk aversion at the first part on the, the law school, but governments are usually more risk averse than even lawyers. And um, but investing in startups is not really a risk if you see what startups can do for an economy. Right. So, like they get it here in Bear County and, and San Antonio. Right. And, you know, they, they understand the shared interests and um, there is, uh, um, you know, the initiatives going on downtown to try to boost the tech district. Yeah. And so we were, you know, very happy to be a part of that and, you know, have been proud to be in San Antonio uh, for the last couple of years. Yeah. If you happen to uh, be in a business where you're thinking about having um, federal government as a customer or other state and local government where you get um, hub zone incentives on some of your, your bidding, um, San Antonio downtown, we've got a great tech district going on, and, and you can get some of those uh, incentives here um, as an urban development zone still, uh, along uh, with uh, many of the other benefits of uh, being here in the city with the great community uh, that we've built uh, kind of up and down Houston Street. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to see the 300-year-old city and then, like, the building that uh, we're in um, recording this right now used to be a department store back in the, the roaring 20s. Uh, this floor used to be uh, ladies' fashions, and now here it is, a tech company, and uh, how downtowns are reinventing themselves all across America. Absolutely. No, it's a, it's a lot of fun, and um, uh, definitely uh, enjoy the uh, community over here. Very supportive. Yeah. So when you, you go back for your law school reunions now, how many other folks have gone and started their own tech company? Uh, not not a lot that I'm aware of. <laughs> not, not a lot that I'm no. aware of. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's not the normal path. But I'm glad that you took it. I think we should see more um, attorneys getting out there. There's lots of cool uh, innovation that could happen in the uh, technology side of the, the legal practice area. So. Absolutely. Still yeah. very, legal tech is still very young. Yes. Um, but, yeah, always um, uh, looking forward to new technology. Yusuf, thank you very much for joining thank us on CyberTalk Radio. Uh, if you wanted to uh, listen to this in full or if you already are streaming in, on iTunes uh, or another podcasting service, thank you for uh, being a, a listener there. And if not, you can catch this whole thing on uh, streaming services or our website at www.cybertalkradio.com.